0: When you cut yourself, you put a plaster on it, on cut to stop the bleeding and to create the conditions for healing. I'm not your fucking plaster. I need a plaster. I just haven't found one that fits right yet. You know what time it is. It's time for the Doddcast. Dennis, the menace. That's me. Y'all ready for this?
1: Jack was just your average, normal, everyday kid. He enjoyed playing sport, chasing girls, and absolutely loved windsurfing. Studying pharmacy at Trinity and passing all his first year exams, he decided to go in, to go on a little trip to Portugal with a couple of lads. He had no idea that upon returning home, his life would be changed forever. On the very first day of the holiday, as he was diving into the water, Jack hit his head off a sand dune, breaking his spine and leaving him paralysed from the neck down. This podcast is about his response. Let's get this party started. You are very, very welcome to the Doddcast. We're here with Jack Kavanaugh. Jack, hello. How are you? It's great <laughs> to be here. <laughs> Jack Evans, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to humble little humble old me. And this uh, fine was well, Saturday afternoon. What well, we have some two we have two
0: big, two big matches coming up this evening. Yeah, absolutely. I'm heading along to the rugby myself, actually. So oh. very much looking forward to it.
1: <laughs> Who's going to win that?
0: I'm. Um, I'm. I'm presuming Ireland are in for it. South Africa have had a rocky old time lately, haven't they? Absolutely. Um, but, uh, no, really interested to see some of the new talent, actually, Ireland are bringing in. Um, and there's plenty of controversy leading up to this I was going to, to say, game. what's your thoughts on the residency rule hey, in terms um, of Audi Aki Do you know what? I I think he's, he's committed to Ireland. Um, I have no issues with it whatsoever. But probably going forward, I do think the five-year rule is a great move because mm. it really makes people commit to... The, the nation that they want to play with and uh, and I don't think anyone can have any qualms or arguments about it when that five-year rule comes in there's a little bit of uh, ambiguity about the three-year rule but definitely uh I'm happy out to see Bundyaki in and for sure look at look at Strauss and I was, was going to say like,
1: I mean, Strauss that, that dates back to, the to- 2012 we're now was, 2017 why is there a big issue with the name Bundiaki? do you think there's a little slight undertone of racism in that
0: you know what and it's funny because we we haven't really had that that dimension come into it before we haven't really had a coloured player on, on the Irish team or in the panel um, and and uh, it does feel a little there's a little bit of unease that it brings to me when when it's sort of been the unsaid thing hasn't it absolutely um, and i really don't like that now And um, yeah i really don't like that that sense to the whole to the whole conversation but look he's put his time in and I'm just really excited to see what he does on the pitch because he's an amazing player (laughs) and bringing back the Henshaw Bundyaki partnership is only going to do good stuff
1: Brilliant Jack um, normally what we do at the start of the show is I I say to the person instead of me saying oh Jack is this that and the other I want you just to say in your own words who you are what you are and what you represent Absolutely so
0: I think uh, over the last couple of years I've learned a lot about myself and when I describe myself now I describe myself in in two ways and they're basically principles that I hold very true to myself so um, the first thing I really believe in is that human potential is absolutely unlimited given the right tools and environment and I really believe that, that every person has magic within them and so I try to demonstrate that in every interaction I have in the small moments because the small moments are what make up your life um but day to day I'm uh, what I call an optimistic realist so I I see the the reality of life and the challenges but I I choose to put a positive slant on it and, and that's really served me well over the last couple of years but in tangible terms what am I doing these days I'm I'm just after qualifying from my undergrad in pharmacy and I'm doing the Masters year, thank you very much Uh, so I'm doing the Masters year at the moment Um, uh, that's one pocket of what I do, I also uh, have had an interesting journey over the last few years which I'm sure we will get into so I uh, I love to speak to everything from uh, school kids up to corporates and everything in between Um, and share my learnings but my story and and some of the insights that i've gotten over the years uh i'm really really interested in the area of personal development and mindset and i think it just there's so much there that can unlock different levels within people and uh, i'm involved in a couple of different uh organizations on the side uh, as well so i'm having a great time and uh it's, it's really interesting trying to keep all those balls in the air and keep fit and Deal with your social life but I think that's what everyone our age is dealing with as they Absolutely. try to sort of find their way
1: I, t- I think that's the most comprehensive answer I've ever got I love that a person who knows exactly what they're about but also this show as I've said it before it's about realists it's about people who kind of objectively look at the world would see it in a very very real light and are totally transparent with who they are and what they're about so thank you very much for that so at the very start of the show what we do a thing is, is is a thing called association um this is as I said for people who don't know the Jack Cavanaugh that I know or your friends know whoever else or your family knows. So what what it is is just an, a word or a sentence um, and just first thing that comes to your head. It's really not there to catch you out, it's just have a little bit of fun, okay? Cool, let's go for it. Right, let's go straight into it. Okay. Home. Done chocolate. Dreams. Massive. Awesome. Windsurfing. Passion. Clongos.
0: Banter. <laughs> Santa Claus. Going down the stairs with my two sisters and peeping in uh, in behind the door to see see if he's still there. Is he here yet?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Michael D. Higgins. Tiny. (laughs) Breakfast roll.
0: Pure felt, really. (laughs) Childhood hero. Oh, Mikey Clancy. Okay. Success. Very individual. Failure. Necessary for greatness. Bicycle stabilizers. Unnecessary.
1: <laughs> Anchorman. Uh, great times. Hills.
0: Surmountable. <laughs> you two. Uh, very real experience.
1: Brown bread. Butter. Turn ons. Light switch. Oh, very good. Safe. Turn offs. <laughs> Uh, turn offs uh, fake Santiago de Compostela
0: Santiago de Compostela let's go there nice Gary Vaynerchuk Uh, wordy orange Uh, the cup that's sitting on my table (laughs) and Paralympics Paralympics completely uh, equal to the Olympics fantastic
1: brilliant Jack, the first thing that I want to ask you is um, you're obviously wheelchair bound for the rest of your, your time. Um, do you see it as a
0: disability or an ability? You know what? I I think the only thing that enables or disables any person is the environment in which they choose to put themselves. And um, and I think that stands true for any person. So for me, I I... Obviously, I use a wheelchair now, and that presents certain practical challenges, but I see them as being very practical rather than insurmountable challenges. Um, And you can look at it as a massive disadvantage or as giving you a different way to get an insight into the world. So in the early days, you know, it was... It was pure
1: hardship. And I mean I mean you, you said to me just before this interview, oh, oh sorry, no, I just need to take a, a quick piss. And it literally was a quick piss. I was like I you know, I was there, oh here we go now. <laughs> I yeah, really yeah. Thought you were Half an hour me. later <laughs>
0: um, Yeah no but but genuinely like in the early days um, I can remember uh, so to give your listeners a bit of context um, I had a spinal injury um, and I broke uh, my neck so um, initially I had no movement from the shoulders down I could just about shrug my right shoulder and that was it Um, but between uh, a good bit of rehabbing and some natural recovery as well, I uh, regained uh, use of my, my shoulders, my biceps, and wrists. So I actually have, uh, f- to put it in a n- numerical terms, I have 15% muscle function. And I have to use that uh, to do as much as I possibly can for myself to get around during the day and uh, it was a massive learning curve over the last couple of years and I was very determined at the time not to be uh, an electric wheelchair user and that was actually a psychological thing rather than actually uh, anything else and the psychology behind it was because when I thought of uh, myself I saw a young fit active guy um, and my associations with uh, an electric wheelchair were very much the opposite to that mm. and at the time when I was making that choice being in a manual chair for me was was pure hardship because I could barely push the thing and I can remember um, months and months and months where uh, I could just about get around and um, um, my bed in the rehab. I can remember a time trying to push uh, out of the ward, and there was probably an incline of uh, God. It, it's the equivalent to like the bump uh, that you would go over uh, on uh, on a door on a door and there was just no way I could do it by myself I can remember breaking down in tears trying to just get to the lift to go down to rehab Um, but as time goes on I, I figured out ways to use the function that I had and and years later now i've got uh, got my wheelchair set up and down i've got all the <laughs> tools that i need absolutely dialed in and um, i've got i had like this vision a couple of years ago of like the setup between the chair i would use how i would design it uh, the car i would drive the the bikes i would have to help me get around and stuff and i just have built like it's gas this guy came up to me recently he's like five years ago Jack you told me about this vision you had when you were lying in your bed in rehab and I couldn't see it and he's a he's a paraplegic of 20 something years and he said to me during, during the summer do you realize you've actually gotten there and I hadn't realized that and and it's nuts now I head out the door in the morning uh, I roll into my van and uh, I can drive to work or I can drive to town clip on my bike and I'm, I can be anywhere as fast as as almost anyone else and it, it's just a matter of interacting with the world in a slightly different way but I don't really see the wheelchair as a limitation anymore because especially with the way the world is changing, places are first of all becoming more accessible but also uh it was just a uh, subtle thing in my head. I was very willing to allow things happen um, and not to let it stand in the way. And by that, I mean, I'm. some people are very stubborn about it, but I would definitely accept help of someone giving me a bump up a step okay, to get yeah, into it. That
1: was one of the questions I was going to have you. Would you take insult for someone who would try to possibly help you at some stage? Because I know there's a few people before, you know, if someone was to give you a hand, you know they're nearly conceding immediately. You know, or oh, they see this person as you know with a disability. Would yeah. you find that that's an insult to you, or would you just be like, no, no, no? I th- thank you. I appreciate that.
0: No, you know what? People mean really well. Uh, they they see something that's different to the norm, and like I have <laughs> ways of, of doing things that that work for me, and um, um, that to someone on the outside they're they really struggle to, to 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 understand how, how i get things done um and people mean really well so i suppose uh it's a matter of if the time is right i'll accept the help but but otherwise it's like you know what i'm actually i'll be fine here it might just take me a minute or two but i, I can manage this myself yeah let's rewind back to the early
1: days the early jack who grew up in the infamous rugby school that was known as clongo's was rugby your first sport or your first lover? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so I, I would never say that I was an amazing rugby player by any stretch. Oh, I was on sort a of played, uh, I,
1: I have you been quoted there back in second year saying uh, you, that you rated yourself as a world-class half-back. And that's from g <laughs> Frame himself, whoever that is, Anonymous. Uh, <laughs> uh, anonymous
0: G-Frane. <laughs> <laughs> the, lads, the lads are out for me today. Um... <laughs> so I, I was probably like playing sort of second second level rugby uh, for the first couple of years of um, school. And I loved rugby. Um, I played uh, in Navin before I went to secondary school with uh, the anonymous G-Frame and a number of <laughs> other lads. Um, and I had a great time. I played out half mostly and I loved that sense of uh, being in the tick of the decision making and how the game, like really having A sense that you could have uh, an impact on how the game unfolded, and that you were sort of pulling the strings. Um, And I love that. So rugby definitely was uh, my first big like love with sport, and and team bonding and you you know you're all in it together and, and i love that aspect of it and sort of a, sort of a sense of uh, real collective achievement when when you win or you're you're on a good streak of games or whatever so
1: yeah it's good it, it comes true every single time your big passion was windsurfing
0: when did windsurfing yeah. first come into your life so um rugby was a real big one at the beginning and then i was really into sailing during the summers growing up as a kid so i would go and do these water sports courses with my cousins and uh, we had a little dinghy at home that we would bring on holidays and stuff and and that was like water i was had a real affinity for the water from a young age and then coming into uh Probably thirteen, fourteen. Um, I remember being out in Malahide one day with my dad in our dinghy, and uh, two guys windsurfed past us, and I was just like, "Whoa, that is so cool!" And I sort of also got a sense of. of I can't be having someone going faster than me. I need to okay. change sports. And uh, I found out that dad used to windsurf when he was younger. So we just there and then on the boat decided we'd sell the dinghy and buy some windsurfing kit. Oh, wow. And I, I did a two-day uh, sort of intro course. And then I taught myself the rest off YouTube. And I just got absolutely fascinated by it. It was sort of this whole completely consuming thing where – every every day like i had this routine of of checking the weather numerous times a day even when i was school and in school and i couldn't possibly go windsurfing i'd be checking the forecast uh, a number of times a day and this was probably like 14 15 16 um i spent every break away from boarding school getting to the beach as much as i possibly could my my evenings uh were spent reading windsurfing magazines and watching videos trying to learn any little bit i could and i think it's like anyone that has like a a real strong passion for something it just sort of takes over you in a way that you don't think anyone else really understands um, and uh, and it was it was brilliant it was sort of a beautiful thing and it, it was almost like a, a, nearly a love affair you know you put all your money and, and work and everything into it and um, it was brilliant and I can remember bu- uh, buying my first kit and the hours and hours that would go into it analyzing all the different reviews And there's all these elements of it before you even get on the water. And then just there's so much involved. You can't just run out to the rugby pitch. Uh, It's not just like that. You need to understand the weather systems and you need to understand what weather will work for a different location. If you want to go wave riding or if you want to do flat water and freestyle. And, you know, there was so many elements to it that just made me tick. So um, it became a really big thing for me. And as I went through secondary school, I decided that the best way to spend my summers was be as a windsurfing instructor. So I did all these uh, on the side. I did like lifesaving courses, and um, I did my first aid and the powerboat instructor course, and then uh, I did my uh, windsurfing instructorship. And I was able to get a job as a windsurfing instructor, and it was the best thing in the world. You know, I was a- able to spend my days teaching people to windsurf in between get out myself and that led to me ending up down the west of Ireland uh, becoming an instructor and it's funny how that happened actually I was down uh, with my dad windsurfing in Ellie Bay in Belmullet Mm. so the back of beyond and I got I was on the inside bay uh, windsurfing flat water, and I got a notion that I'd go over to the wave beach on the other side. And this is big Atlantic waves, and I'd never been anything like it. And anyway, I went out on a I broke on my kit on my first ride out oh, no way. and here I was like in a rip current and I didn't really have any clue how dangerous it was or, or what was happening and next thing this guy windsurfed out past me and he was like here ditch your gear and swim back in I'll come out to get it and uh, so I got saved by this guy and it turns out that he was the head instructor uh, down in Ishke which is uh, an Irish college down in there. And he found out that I spoke Irish and he was like, Jesus, like, when you get your instructorship, you should come down here and work. <laughs> um, and so it was just a funny way of ending up getting, like, my dream my dream job at the time. So I spent a couple of summers down there windsurfing and started competing and stuff. And I just had a great time with it. Yeah, I loved it.
1: Brilliant. That's brilliant. It's lovely to hear. Um, <clears throat> you were obviously an academic in school but at the same time, you had this, if you like, Gary Vaynerchuk would call it a side hustle of the uh, the windsurfing in the side. Was there ever a stage where you decided to kind of ditch it all and decide, no, feck it, you know, mom, I'm going to Australia and windsurfing for the rest of my days. Or was it always going to be, no, I'm going to stay on the straight and narrow, and I'm going to get a good leave insert here, and I'm going to go to Trinity, which is what actually happened.
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I saw them actually working in parallel. Um so I I ended up studying pharmacy in in college and um, uh, I suppose when you when you roll back I actually wasn't very academic growing up at all I had really bad dyslexia um, in primary school and I suppose I got the help that I needed at a very pivotal time which was really like 4th, 5th, 6th class and I was sort of a real messer and a problem child before that um like my mum and dad were just uh, getting phone calls left right and centre can you give us a, an um, example on of, one of the, story from that yeah like I, I remember uh, mum often tells the story of one of the first days I was in primary school she gets a phone call from um from my teacher and uh, the teacher says uh, oh Ellen Marie do you uh do you know why I'm calling and she said no 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 um well jack jocked one of the girls in the yard today (laughs) (laughs) the teachers really thought that I was just gonna amount to nothing but I ended up getting a bit a good bit of help around that time and I started applying myself really well in secondary school so I ended up anyway in pharmacy um in first year and it was great at the time I was like this is uh, a job that Will allow me to lead like a lifestyle that I want. I can, I can work X amount of days a week, um, and uh, I can make a decent living. And my actual dream at the time was just to own a van. That I would get out with a bed in the back and racks for my windsurfing gear, and I could just head off and, and and drive to wherever I needed to be and and sleep in the van and windsurf during the day, and and that was my sort of my my dream around that time. Uh, but things didn't really unfold that way. So, mm-hmm. um, do you, do you see yourself just a little side
1: um side question? Do you see the potential or possibility of being able to ever?
0: windsurf again um you know it's funny i i said like after the uh, the injury or after anyone has a big trauma you sort of compartmentalize things yeah and you only sort of unbox them and deal with them as you're ready to as time unfolds I get and it took me an awful long time to to deal with the whole windsurfing. Um, box I, I just really ran away from it big time because, And at the
1: time was, it, was a, it was a double whammy I think you said because what well, was your childhood yeah, yeah. hero wasn't it passed away this well at the time Mikey Clancy yeah
0: so while I was in rehab I remember getting a phone call so Mikey was was an amazing guy he had a, he was a professional windsurfer he was windsurfing on the world tour and he was a huge inspiration because we would like he was this big role model figure but then I would windsurf with him on the beach uh down in Dollymount every couple of days you know and uh so he was a very real life hero and um I really looked up to him in a big way and when I went back I remember the first day I went to rehab he was one of the first people in uh, with a, a signed jersey from the whole pro fleet and this was like gold dust to me yeah. and um but he would tip in and out to me every couple of days in rehab and I remember anyway getting a message from him just before um, New Year's and he was saying, hope you're doing well, Jack. I'll be into you in a couple of weeks uh, for a catch-up. And I went back to rehab anyway and I remember getting a phone call from my friend David um, and I was by myself in the rehab. I'd gone back a few days early to get ahead to get ahead of the game and... Uh, David just said, "Have you have you heard about Mikey Jack?" And I was like, "God, what's he gone and done now?" Like, yeah. um, thinking I was about to get some great news, and uh, unfortunately, Mikey took his own life, and it really highlighted for me at the time a couple of things. Well, first of all, it was just a massive hit from the windsurfing world that I, I lost my passion, but I also lost my role model. But it also taught me not to put people on pedestals and to understand that everybody is vulnerable. Um, And I made a commitment to myself around that time that I would always be completely transparent with people about how I was doing. And that commitment was as much for me as for other people because if I was being transparent with both myself and with other people about how I was doing that would also create the space for other people to be real with me as well I Understand. and I found that to be very true over the years and I just look more and more uh, have seen it through college that people people go on a different path or, or they really struggle and they think that they're completely alone and by themselves and that there's no one else going through the shit that they're going through and it's just so untrue. Yeah. And it's we, we we talked a little bit about this um, before before the the mic or the recording started. But um, social media, you just you see a, a glimmer of what's happening in a person's life, and it's all the it's all the nice sparkly parts that, that you see, but you don't see the the anxiety that they're waking up with, or the down days, or the the day when. No, it's just a normal day, and, and nothing particularly magnificent happens, and that that's totally okay. That you don't need to beat yourself up. That you're that you're not. uh I, I think I think Jack, especially
1: for the likes of Instagram, they use it when they feel bad. So you say you're coming off yeah. the back of a heavy weekend, and this is a really really bad example. But if you're coming off the back of a bad weekend, and you're looking just for some sympathy likes just to show that people actually do care about you that you're not there by yourself and then say for instance if a guy or girl doesn't attain whatever a hundred likes on a on a, on a a post they put up it's insidious then really they feel bad then about themselves again and it just goes in a vicious cycle
0: yeah and I think you hit on a good point there that it's often when we're at our lowest that we turn to something like this right so we're having a bad day uh, something's gone against us Uh can't can't find the motivation to go and do something positive for ourselves so we'll flick on to uh, a news feed of some sort and all you're seeing is someone else's highlight reels and it's saying it makes you feel even worse Um, um, but this is, this is very segwayed from the question you originally no, asked. No, it's
1: fine, but I, it's, it, that, that's exactly the reason why I like, like to ask these kind of sideways questions, because I digress every single time. But for you, Jack, when you were really struggling and when you were in the shit and you were looking on social media and people living their lives and enjoying their holidays and doing their things while you had the most difficult, difficult year, 13 months of your life, how, like ment- ment- not whatever physically, but mentally, how did you deal with it?
0: Um, you know what, it was, it was a really tough time and there's no point sugarcoating that whatsoever. Um, I can remember getting out of rehab around, uh, I think it was around March, May time. Um, and at that time, I moved home uh, to what at the time was Meath, which was isolated from where all my friends were in college in Dublin. Yeah. and. Everyone went into exam mode at that time, so I didn't really see anyone. And then I think a lot of my friends felt, felt odd about this as well, but, but they had to get on with their lives as well at the time, and I had to deal with my struggle. But that summer, an awful lot of people that I was friends with went away on J1s or they went to Thailand and did all these kind of things. And I never felt so isolated yeah. as I did that summer. But it was, looking back on it, it was probably a necessary journey to go through. Um, Because during that summer, uh, well, a couple of months previously, I'd set the goal of getting back to college the following September. And that summer was so, so hard mentally. I'll give you a few examples in a minute. Um, So, so hard mentally, but it was also a time when it's only looking back that I realized every day I was making little bits of progress. And that only adds up over time, and you only see that when you look back. Um, and I didn't recognize how much we actually achieved that summer, yes. despite it feeling like like I was right at the bottom of the pit. Um, you were living every second it wasn't even every minute it was
1: every second for you and you seem like a guy who's very very hard on yourself and a little bit impatient as well at times so when you set yourself these goals and micro goals you want them to be achieved immediately and it's extremely difficult when you feel as though you're looking at a social feed where they're living out their dreams and goals and expectations and aspirations while you're doing something so so what seems minuscule to you but is actually huge in the grand scheme of
0: things yeah, and I can give you examples of of some of the kind of things that I was um, I was trying to achieve that summer. And like this, this looking back on it, they seem like such trivial things, but they were so important to giving me confidence to go forward. Like I was literally learning to to feed myself again, to brush my teeth again, to how to put a, a hoodie or a jacket on by myself. Like these were like the the miniature challenges that I never even considered to be a thing before I had the accident, that were now these like massive mountains and hurdles that I had to overcome every day. Just the decision to smile and, uh, when I was getting up in the morning. You know, at that time, it was taking like uh, it was taking the assistance of two people to get up in the morning and there are people you're at your lowest and you have people coming into your life that you don't really know that you don't really want to be there uh they're just trying to help you but it's just such a, a conflict of emotions and things going on um, in a very tangible way i can describe to you uh the lowest of the lows. that summer um two, two examples for you um I got quite quite depressed for a while, and uh, understandably. And I can remember having no way to vent it, right? So, so all your release mechanisms have been taken away in a situation like I found myself in. Um, I couldn't go running anymore. I couldn't head out on the rugby pitch. I couldn't go windsurfing. I didn't know how to exercise my body yet. I was still trying to get a grasp of things. And so I had no release valve. Um, Nearly all my friends were gone away. There was a couple of lads that were around that were really good to me that summer. Um, But really all my release mechanisms were gone. And um, I remember being in the kitchen one day. I think I'd had my hood up and my head down for for the best part of the week and I'd barely spoken to anyone. And I turned around from the kitchen table and mum was cleaning out a press and she had all these glasses and plates up on that table and I just saw this as an opportunity and I swiped my hand across the table and cleaned everything off onto the ground and everything smashed and it provided me with like this tiny moment of relief but then immediately I had like the guilt of what I'd just done and so I was trapped in this like place where I was saying why why me why has this happened to me and um and then I was told a story uh, that I didn't know about which was as my mum and dad flew over to Portugal um to to see me in the hospital Portugal where I had the accident and um mum was on the plane asking dad the question why Jack? Why would this happen to Jack? And Dad just very stoically like responded, "Well, why not, Dad? Why should this have happened to anyone else on the beach that day?" And that that was that's an amazing thing to to have the the wherewithal to actually have that vision and um, to say something like that. But I was told that story and I said, "Wow, that is so true." And it was sort of. Earlier on, at different stages, I'd very much taken ownership of the situation. There was no one else to blame. But but during that summer, I took real ownership and I said, this is up to me. It's no one else's fault. I could spend the rest of my days asking why or I could... Choose to see this as my biggest opportunity for growth and learning, and uh, to use it as a platform to become a better version of myself. Just while while we we're on the phone, there I pulled up um, something that I think is really important for people to hear, and I've barely shared this with anybody. Um, but I think it's a really good platform to do it on because people won't see me while I read you this. Uh, but this is something that I wrote. And we went down to Clifton uh, that summer. And Clifton's down in the west of Ireland for anyone that that is tuning in from abroad. And the west of Ireland was this place that I associated with such freedom it was the place i used to go uh, and spend my summers growing up i used to windsurf down there it's where we went to irish college together and there's so much sense of freedom and just joy and happiness down there and i've never felt more restricted than i did that summer when i went down and i can remember uh just being in a really dark place and surrounded by family I had just had my 21st birthday and I was like, I'd spent most of the day in silence, not talking to anyone. And I was surrounded by family when I wrote this. And this is just to demonstrate to people that this journey, like that, that people have seen me on, it hasn't been glossy and it has been messy. And I think that's the way life is. Um, But you go through the lowest parts of your life on, and it gives you massive perspective Because that allows you to really embrace and enjoy the good times. So um, this was just to give you an idea of how isolated I felt, surrounded by family. Um, So here we go. Did you ever feel like you've had the rug pulled out from under you? 20 years old, now 21, what happened? If there was any rhyme or reason to any of it. You think you're getting there some kind of structure is forming in your head and then out of nowhere you're hit with a sledgehammer and sent reeling back to where you thought you had climbed out of you are numb you want to put words on what you're feeling so that you can understand even a fraction of it yourself but that seems like an impossible feat you can't you just can't it's building inside you you stare at everything without really looking at anything consumes you until you crumble you can't look at anyone even yourself because you're so embarrassed ashamed disappointed self-conscious you start to feel dehydrated because you've been sobbing shaking uncontrollably the salt from your tears stings your eyes and makes your skin feel tight you can't look at anyone because you're terrified of what they might see in your eyes and understand some of what you might feel as much as they want to help and console you, there is no way. You wipe your face and go out. You know that this is your journey and you have to take much of it on alone. Just another day. Yes, I'm as strong as all of you think I am. I'm there to inspire you because that's the pedestal you put me on. I'm just trying to put the fragments of my life back together. And all of you think that it's okay to watch and comment on how knowing me makes you a better person. When you cut yourself, you put a plaster on it, uncut on to stop the bleeding and to create the conditions for healing. I'm not your fucking plaster. I need a plaster. I just haven't found one that fits right yet. So, sorry, Jacob. You've got me there now so I don't read that. I just think it's a really good opportunity to share that with people because, um, <laughs> you've definitely, you've
1: got me anyways. Thank you very much because, for sharing that. This um, yeah, there's nothing I can say that's going uh, to, thank you very much for sharing that.
0: No. And I, cause I want to swing to the positive uh, things that happen now very quickly, but I just, in a very real way, I, I've, been trying to speak and do the talks I do and really allow people to understand that that it's from like the deepest, darkest places that we learn the most and can, can excel ourselves in a massive way. And, and so now, like when I'm faced with a big challenge, and I think it stands true for anyone. when you're faced with a big challenge or, or a really dark time in your life, uh, you can see it as a choice and you can recognize it as the lowest place that you've been that there's there's nowhere else to fall and that from that position that you can only grow that you can get stronger and that you can you can define who you are and redefine who you are and grow and excel from it and And that's what I'd love people to take from this is by, by sharing that which I barely shared with anyone Um over a podcast I think it's a really good way for people to get inside my head at that time and to understand the journey from that place because uh, yeah, so, yes yeah. we, we we briefly spoke about it before uh, we went
1: online and we said we said um, you know how it's 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 great that you know obviously the the physical disability and, and seeing a person in a wheelchair is going to immediately spark up emotive thoughts and feelings about people so when you're only hearing the voice of a person you're only you're actually hearing their thought, their brain actually in action and um, so all I can say is this, and thank you so much for sharing that it's, it was just even at a very personal level that was um, yeah very profound thank you very much. Yeah, Jack absolutely. we'll just keep moving along uh, yeah. here it, it, it was it was it was a, it was a load of questions I have I Literally, normally what I do is I take out a blank sheet of paper and I just start scribbling down questions with just random questions that I'd like to ask the person uh, not who they are, but, uh, not what they are but actually who they are and mm. um, one of the questions that I have is um, if there's one thing that you could do if someone said to you in the morning that look you've no you' you you're able to walk you have full full ability for the next 24
0: hours obviously windsurfing what would you do uh, you know what I'd actually go um, and I'd meet a group of friends and I'd go first of all I go running by myself at about five o'clock in the morning okay. uh, just create clear headspace for myself I, I, I use hand cycling to do the same now but um, I I think I'd go for a swim and see. I'd go meet meet a group of friends and on, and on, uh, do something as a team that that I, I struggle to do now. Something like climb a mountain or, or just to share that those kind of some of those experiences again. And um, I maybe maybe they'd be very simple things that I would do, and um, and they'd be all outdoors. They'd be all active and um, and involved. Uh, starting the day getting headspace by myself but then the rest of the day just up and doing things with people that I cared about yeah brilliant it'd be very simple no it's not
1: simple that's that's the way life is how we're created we were all created on this planet to be outside and be outdoors so it's uh it's it's in our genetic makeup to want to be and do that so I totally understand that um it's something that I take for granted every single day and I love, I love your, I don't know, I was just, I watched a documentary again there last night, and it was one of the girls in the National Rehabilitation Unit, she said to you, she gave you a, a board of Scrabble, and she said, just make as much curse words as you could, I love that. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I mean, but in terms of, I, I really don't know for myself like i'm just thinking obviously you look at it very very personal it's probably a selfish level like what would i do in terms of releasing because my release is this as you said the same as that either speaking to a person or in particular going to the gym or playing a game of rugby or whatever else and releasing what is it now that gives you that release is there anything that gives you that release
0: yeah absolutely you know i i think when i struggled mentally uh around that time i recognised. Sorry, I struggled physically around that time um, after the injury and I recognized that I was struggling physically but that I had... After I got through the really rough patch that I had this mental toolkit uh, that would allow me to excel in ways that I never thought that I would and I think everyone has that and I call it the other self and it's that part of yourself that you only recognize or realize is there when you're faced with something massive and... um, and so I began becoming fascinated with uh, mental training, with uh, resilience work with mindset stuff and I, I just read it and devour it now. it's like my new my new passion and um, so I use a lot of that kind of stuff. I use meditation and mindfulness gratitude and um, to help me release. but I also have gotten back to some of the, the physical, releases that I that I didn't have for so long so I hand cycle now and that's a great space away from everything you know physical exertion is such a good way to change your state and I love that and something simple that I I do every morning is I'll get up I'll uh, strap on some wrist weights and I, I just do like a 15 minute workout like almost every morning and it just changes your state straight away in the morning and because you can yeah absolutely you can be you can go into your day lethargic um and and on the back foot but i just find that getting up uh straight away when i'm when i'm sitting up in the chair i i get get these wrist weights strapped on i do a 15 minute workout and it changes the the outlook of my day entirely um, that and meditation have been huge in terms of providing releases for me and the meditation is something that I struggle with all the time and um, but it's just literally for me it's a case of I stick some gentle music on focus on my breathing and I'm getting to the point now where all these thoughts keep coming through my head but I can just sort of see them as as thoughts and let them pass without attaching to them too much and it's a really good way for me just to actually get a picture of what I'm actually thinking about rather than being stuck in the, in the storm you know um, so yeah they've all been different things that I use now as a release you're, you're a very intelligent
1: and articulate fella and you're able to come up with these you know divisive different ways to be able to you know deal with the mental and physical challenges that 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 are put before you what what would you say to a person who maybe hasn't been given the same opportunities that you have in life i mean in terms of not to put not to sound uh in uh, ungenuine or insincere but i mean you went to an all um a private school you have a fantastic supportive network around you what happens to a guy who you know maybe hasn't had that He's yeah, in a disadvantaged, uh, grown up in a kind of socioeconomic disadvantaged area and background and doesn't have those same supportive tools because he doesn't know them and they're not there for him.
0: Yeah, um, I think each each person's case is completely unique, but I have definitely recognized over the last couple of years just how privileged I am in a number of ways. You know, you, you've hit some of them on the head there. Um, but even comparing someone in my situation in a different country, you know, I, it's it's just nuts. Um, but I would say to anyone that almost at any time, particularly if you're you're growing up or living in Ireland, gratitude has been and expressing gratitude, even if you don't do it outwardly to someone else, um, has been. What, one of the biggest things for me, and I keep a gratitude list um, <laughs> every morning. Um, I don't know. You, you find these different times when when you can you can do it. Can, can Some I people do it this morning. Um, this morning was gratitude that I had. Uh, I've i given up coffee uh, for the month, oh, wow. uh, so uh, that that I had uh, really nice peppermint tea. Um, okay, I sound like such a such a notiony bollocks here. Um, <laughs> uh, I probably I had, had a r- bite drink too, so don't worry. <laughs> so, uh, that I really nice peppermint tea, um, that I uh woke up in a warm house, and um, that I had uh the opportunity to go and share a rugby match with my sister today. And um, so, just three things really simple, um, um. But doing, practicing that early in the morning, um, like I have sort of a routine of things that I do in the morning. But to someone that isn't as privileged as uh, as I might be in a number of ways or, or you might be in different ways, I think gratitude is like the number one game changer because in almost any... Circumstance if you look at life in an abundance mindset rather than a lacking mindset. So, by an abundance mindset, I mean that you find some aspect of something that you can be thankful for, and um, it really changes your outlook on
1: life. We've totally remiss of me, Jack, to not mention this at all at any level, but that California documentary that you made, Breaking Boundaries was oh, brilliant phenomenal i said i watched it again there last night just to update myself again exactly what happened and you know it's funny you miss certain nuances you know every single time that you watch it again you probably find that you pick up a new thing or a different thing um <laughs> taking life back into your own hands would that if you were to sum it up in a sentence would you say that or what would you what would you say ah uh, yeah that was that was one of the best experiences ever and. Um, just gonna kind of briefly tell the listeners uh, what the documentary is, what it's about, and uh, just in your own words, kind of what what it is to you.
0: Yeah. So the the whole thing started uh, actually at the end of first year in college. I made made a promise to a friend, my Dave, that before we finished college, we would go travelling together, and it would be a story we could tell our grandkids. And um, between the jigs and reel of everything that happened, we forgot about that, and it was over a point. A couple of years later we were remembered and I was getting really annoyed at seeing everyone else going off traveling and I said feck there's no reason why I shouldn't be doing this too and we just looked at each other and said right let's do it and uh, California was sort of that kind of road trip is a, a dream for a lot of people and I wanted to do it as well and I I wanted to bring people on the journey with it, with us, uh, with me and with, with lads and, um, to give them an insight into what it was actually like and what's possible when you, when, when you put your mind to it. So I went home and I made a a pitch video and I stuck it up on a personal, personal fund or a public funding website. And I cringe when I see it now. But, uh, (laughs) um, anyway, uh, the money's people started to buy into the idea of this documentary we wants to make. And then we were like, Oh shit. Like we've got people's money and we have no idea how to make a documentary. And, uh, like, Let's go to Vegas. I was like, what's step number one? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know what? You put a, put an idea out there and, and it's funny how things start to fall into place. And we went away with, with this great crew of people myself uh dave fleur my friend gordon uh who is not so anonymous anymore <laughs> uh, and uh, and my sister claire and lean our great friend and uh film a uh, film photographer and it turned out to be this phenomenal trip we did everything from skydiving to whitewater rafting to being backstage with julia roberts cameron diaz and you too all these people um and so they're the highlight real moments but then you have like these uh, beautiful moments that only happen out of serendipity you know yeah. the people you meet on the way the experiences you have the funny things that happen that that you just had to be there to experience and i think this documentary gives sort of a fly in the wall insight into a lot of that kind of stuff we also did interviews uh, a couple of months later when we came back and we all had a bit of time to process it so you get quite a nice reflective look as well on the whole thing and so it's, it's it was a really fun uh
1: Journey, do I know this. This this is a real generic question that you get asked. But like, if you were to, oh my god, you know, what was your favorite? what was you know, number one, the pinnacle of the holiday? I mean, everything seemed like such a high. Even up to, the, <laughs> bar the fact. I mean, the very first thing I saw. Okay, Jack is just after arriving in the in the US. His bag has been misplaced. He's <laughs> like, oh, no, is this how it's going to yeah. happen now? Is this how? Yeah, this it's, it's like, gonna, like a whole lot of calamity events. But mm. like what? It, and this I, I go, it goes back to your I mean, I was just picking up uh, doing like when I was doing a little bit of um, research on you. I was just picking up. It wasn't in black and white, but I was just picking up things that you had said um, quotes, really. And it, 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 it's same again. It's a micro um, uh, um, example of that, but it's never about the event, but it's always about the response, how you respond to adversity. And it's, it was like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, fine. That's grand. You've lost my bag, but I'm going to go to you too and tell Julia Roberts that she looks beautiful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I, I look, there was so many funny moments uh, through the whole trip. Uh, I don't know. We just had, we had, hilarious times doing different things the antics that you get up to uh the fights we had at different times we had a fight a couple of days in which was mostly my fault and it was probably the best thing that happened in the whole trip uh, because it really set the tone for what was an amazing trip uh i remember oh here i shouldn't be telling you this but uh <laughs> um so we ended up um getting in touch with uh Cause, my mum's my mum's relations out there and they've done quite well for themselves and they gave us uh, the opportunity to stay in their holiday home in the wine valley up in the Napa valley Napa, yeah. so so we spent uh, we spent a week in this like beautiful house that didn't make the cut of the documentary because like we couldn't really see let people like we slummed it for the rest of the holiday but we couldn't really <laughs> let, let people think that we were having this high rolling holiday anyway we're we're in this beautiful house and uh, there uh, they have this wine cellar and so I know uh, this is the, going the door was left open. And we were there by ourselves for a week. And anyway, we may have dabbled in uh, some of, of the wine stores. And anyway, we get a phone call after moving on, on from the house. Um, and on the last night, we had been joking, being like, can you imagine if we weren't supposed to drink any of this? And we uh, <laughs> got a phone call later the following day, and their, their cleaner had come in and seen the empty bottles and called them and we just got this phone call and it's not it it was not funny at the time but it is a little bit looking back and basically like we had drank this like prize possession like wine and I I didn't really understand it at the time like what we'd done and we were like oh here we'll pay for it we're like we'll absolutely pay for it and they're like I don't think you understand like you you there's no way you will be able to pay for this. Um, and uh, it, it it was like one of those like heart drop moments where we were like okay well well we know where all the money for the documentary is going now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, oh but it was like it was literally a heart sink moment where I got that phone call and I was like well well this is the end. Um <laughs> I can remember uh, one of the days, uh, just practical jokes and stuff, yeah. uh, Dave and myself were outside the, one of the places that we stayed, and um, we may or may not have been uh, sampling some of the Californian uh, bud, and uh, <laughs> any, anyway, I'll um, leave that up to interpretation, but we, we were outside the house anyway, and Dave I just like got this real serious tone and I was like, here Dave, I need to tell you something. Um, and like straight away, he got really serious and he was like, Jack, you know, you can, you can talk to me at anything. I'm always like here and stuff and I was like, oh, I, I just, man, I don't know how to say this. And, uh, and he was like, come on, just get it out of you. And I was like, I was like, well, you know, when, when you and the guys are, are all like sleeping at night and stuff and, and he's like, yeah I was like well I just I, I do this thing at night that I don't really tell anyone about and and like it's really I don't know like if it's going to change everything and what people think of me now and, and he's like he's like Jack you can tell any, anything and I was like well I was like I get up and go running at night and, and he was like <laughs> You just didn't know how to take it at all, and um, there was like loads, a lot of little funny moments and things you had to be there for. But we we just had a great time, and really? um, simple things like you'll see it in the documentary, getting pulled over by the because. by the police, and uh, and just the antics. Some of the antics. most of the antics we got up to didn't make it into the documentary at all. But I can but imagine. you get a really nice insight into into the trip, and the- and I think it's gone down really well people seem to enjoy it a lot
1: the uh the exoskeleton that you tried on jack and what was the name of that place that you went to in san francisco yeah so exobionics exobionics do you think um, that's the the way forward for um for people in your condition or 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 you know others like that yeah
0: so um these exobionic suits just to describe them yeah, um, first of all they're uh they're basically like rigid uh if you've seen transformers that's basically what they are um is it's like a a rigid skeleton you wear outside of your body that that allows um people with the likes of paralysis or ms or who've had strokes different things like that to um get up and to, to mobilize to walk um and they're amazing technology um more and more, they're going to come into mainstream uh, daily life. At the moment, they're, they're not quite at the stage where you could get up in the morning, mm. hop in and go about your day. But I do think that they will get to that stage. Now, saying that, um, I know a lot of people that just aren't interested in them. They say, like, I can function perfectly well uh, using my wheelchair. Um, I'm really efficient now that I've learned how to do it. and My life is fantastic. Um, but there's a lot of health benefits you're supposed to be up walking around it's natural um, and more than that I think there's the subtle things that I didn't really understand how important they were till I got up again and they're the kind of things like being up at eye level again being able to yes. give someone a hug uh, being able to like I can remember one of the first times I get up being able to just look at my dad eye to eye um, it's a really sort of important thing uh, being able to give my sister and my friends uh, my sisters and my friends just uh, and my mum just like a really strong hug upright it's different to when you're, to when you're sitting down um, simple things like that are things that you just don't even think about uh, when when you're going to walk in one of these you know more and more it's going to be the way that people hop into them in the mornings and and go about their day but there's all sorts of uses for them uh in japan with the the aging population they're using like different types of exoskeletons that just provide knee support or hip support to reduce the burden on people when they're lifting things and doing manual work because because they're age demographic is getting older and older they need people to be functional until they're older and older and so you'll see these kind of assistive technologies coming in in loads of different ways over the next couple of years
1: well the the um documentary ended up winning winner of the best and correct me if i'm wrong winner of the best international feature documentary of the with the garden state film festival 2017 what what else did you got a couple of honors didn't you
0: yeah, so we, um that was great fun heading over there and I saw uh, that. There was a little video log type thing done to that, it was cool. Yeah, we had we would a good out laugh out there and it was fantastic to come away with a win. Um but we we got a few a few other mentions in different uh documentary uh over in London based uh at uh, sort of a hipster festival we got a place in in Madrid as well and it's on Amazon Prime so uh, it was shown on TV3 and TV in Ireland so it's it's done it's sunned around nicely now and the whole idea with the story was that we just wanted to get it out to as many people as we possibly could to to share a little bit of what's possible if you if you're open to it and um, and that was the whole idea at the beginning and I'm really it's great to see when you look at the, the figures that are watching it and things, uh, to see that more and more people are getting the opportunity to see it, which is exactly what we wanted. Brilliant, brilliant.
1: Just, Jack, there was one question that I had, which was, uh, I'm kind of more and more sort of personal level I'm kind of curious about is, like, you, you were always a flirt, and even with Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz in the backstage, flirting away with them as if, you know, you'd known them for years. Um, and you had am I am I correct me if I'm wrong. And you had a girl from before the the accident. Um, is, is, am I am I right by saying that? Yeah, yeah. Um, how, how did how, if you don't mind me asking? How did how did things pan out there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was going out with an amazing girl uh, before my accident, and really, like we'd we'd we got together in the first year and we had a great time together and we'd really only decided to, to, uh, I suppose, formalize things, uh, um, during that summer before I had my accident. And, uh, she was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal through the time I had my accident and with my family and really became so ingrained in, in, in our family. But, one of the things I said very early on was this is going to be really, really hard. And if you need to go, like you need to go and and that's totally fine. Um, now I said that, and I probably didn't realize how tightly I was holding on as well because, you know, I just needed, I needed support and, um, I needed to feel close, but, uh, we ended up uh, going our separate ways just after I got out of rehab and she remains as like one of my best friends. But, um, it wasn't the right thing at the time. And it was absolutely, it was, you know, that breakup was probably as hard as, as the injury because, because of the context that it happened in. Um, you know, uh, that summer, I was all that I talked about earlier. I was dealing with that as well, and that was just compounding effect, you know. But it was, it was absolutely the right thing to do at the time because I needed to understand who I was as an individual again, and she also needed space not to feel trapped, which was massive, um, uh, because there could easily have been that sense that that God. This, this is something that I'm locked into now yeah. um, and I, I really really wanted it to be clear that it was not that kind of case initially um, so you know what it was like I talked about compartmentalizing things that was something that I probably the whole like relationship and like being intimate with people and stuff like that and like thing of allowing myself to be loved again um, it took me a, a significant amount of time, but I've I've gone out with a couple of different girls since then. I've had loads of fun and games, just like all young people have, and uh, no. and I haven't let it stop stop uh, like getting get in the way. Um, so it's just it's actually. It's it's really fun and interesting, and, and uh, I go about things in a slightly different way now. But it's 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 just as much uh, fun for, for everyone
1: involved. No, brilliant! No, that's exactly uh, what I wanted to hear. We just even at a curious level, I I might try a few things. Once we go offline, you can probably tell me a few things or two. You know, you might teach me something.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'll teach you anything. <laughs> I, I don't have
1: a chance, Jack. I I think yeah. that we do in the show is a is a thing called dad jokes. <laughs> so oh, it, my, my, part of my whole kind of persona is that I just crack these real chronic jokes, and it was something that I used to do back in boarding school. And just you know, all the you're know, the dry guy in school. That was me. All right, so I'd say these things, and people are like, "Oh my god!" I know. So I was just wondering. As seen as we're coming up to the Christmas, um, I was wondering, what do you call a person who doesn't believe in Santa Claus? Agnostic. I don't know. No response. Not just. I don't know if you're. you're the, the screen has been frozen, and you're just holding that in there.
0: <laughs> I think you're hoping that the screen has been frozen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you have? Do you have any? I, I think everyone that's listening joking.
0: are like, oh, there, there must have been like an an, an audio interruption or something there. <laughs> I
1: think so. I was I just, like, literally, oh. that line just went. I was like oh god this is gone here uh, <laughs> Do you have any little cracker jokes for me That you kind of go you, you rely on that you like to Well more so I rely on But is there anything that you kind of like to crack out if, if, if you're not getting a response or reaction from someone
0: God I don't I, I don't think I'm like you I, I don't think I have like a go to little book of jokes That I have <laughs> under the table uh, My mum actually tells uh, a funny story Of uh, she was on a d- date when she was younger and uh, she got like set up with this chronic date anyway and um, had to go along and your man had a little notebook underneath the table with the acronym written out for how the joke should be told and uh, oh, oh, like real, real chronic uh, behavior now for a first date but uh, do I have any go-to jokes that's terrible I can't think of anything
1: no to be honest with you you're probably better off as you, as I said that uh, I'm gonna I, I while you were talking about that I just threw that back little the little book that I had uh, is the bin there so I can see it? now where your life advice comes in now Jack do you know what I mean it's all kind of clicking for me <laughs> come here as as i say this this has been um inspiring to say the least but we are coming to an end and i've held you for too too long now and thank you so much for your time but where is the future jack what's what is the future what does it have in store for you where are we going um i mean it seems like there's no limit here to to what you can achieve after Talking to you, I feel like I need, nearly need to go out and run a marathon or something because it just really has bloody inspired me. But what, for yourself, what, what what is the what is the future?
0: Um, well, thanks very much. Uh, but I, I really just think I have a couple of I talked about some of the principles that I have right at the beginning. Um, one of the most important ones is that uh, it's impress yourself, and and that comes down to like a day to day fundamental because our days are microcosms of our life right and how you live your days how you live your life over over a long period of time and the idea of impress yourself is that every day we're dealt a different set of cards different set of circumstances different things happen we meet different people we have interactions and it's literally about me and and everyone I, I try to to share this with is it's about the idea of being the best version of you each moment to moment and that's really really challenging to do Um, and I'm not saying that I always achieve exactly how I want it to be but it's it's a constant sort of feeling of leveling up like whether it's in how you interact with someone because you don't know what's happened to that person before or what will happen to them after, uh, something you say to a person on the street or that you meet, uh, for you doing your ward rounds, for me interacting with someone in in the pharmacy or at a talk or a seminar, uh, we don't know what's happened to them beforehand or what will happen to them afterwards and something simple that you might say or how you conduct yourself or portray something uh, could have a massive shift for someone else so yeah. so the simple idea of impress yourself and in, in how you conduct yourself is huge for me but um going forward i'm finishing out my master's in pharmacy at the moment i'm working in a pharmacy uh during the day at the minute studying in the evenings and i will be then moving to a placement to do research in Trinity for a while, uh, for six months. Um, alongside that, I am working with two organizations. One is called the SOAR Foundation, um, an amazing documentary that everybody should watch. And I just saw an article about him in the journal there this morning. Uh, is the Jim Stein's documentary. It's called... Uh, literally YouTube Jim Stein's documentary and it'll come up but it's called Every Heart Beats True Uh, an amazing watch and that'll give you an insight into what SOAR is all about so the SOAR Foundation uh, runs experiential workshops for young people Uh, they believe that every young person has greatness within them and they want to create the space and provide young people with some of the tools that they might need to understand who they are and that they're their possibilities are limitless Um, and to give them the confidence to believe in themselves Um, I'm also with uh, an early stage uh, startup called um, the Winning Minds movement which is providing education about mindset and mind tools to uh, it's starting off with adults because uh, well parents because parents are the main teachers for the kids and will be then hopefully starting to teach uh, in schools as well. So there's some of the things I'm doing on the sides that I'm really enjoying. Uh, loving all the exercise. Uh, I go to the gym a couple of days a week and, and I like to hand cycle as well. And But it's, it's sort of like really going forward, I'm just trying to build out more and more of a holistic uh, approach because it, for ages I got stuck in um, – just focusing on college work at different times, just focusing on the documentary. And to a certain extent, I, I, I shut out other things and I isolated myself from from some people that, that uh, were important to me. So I think over the next 12 months, it's really about accelerating myself towards certain goals that I have, but, but creating the space to allow myself... Uh, type A personalities, you know, we just want to go, go, go. Yeah. But creating the space to allow myself uh, spend time with people that are important to me, and to create more of those good experiences with other people as well. So, yeah, that's what we're all about at the moment. Can you leave us with uh, one quote to finish off, Jack? Uh, straight away, something that comes to mind is a quote from Doctor John D. Martini. Uh, one of the most incredible speakers I've ever seen. And I saw him at Pendulum Summit last year. And he finished his talk with this, and it was so powerful for me. Um, he just said, Allow yourself to do something extraordinary in this world. There you go. That's it. Well, Easy. I, I, I'd love to just cut it off
1: with this because there's nothing that I'm going to say now is going to live up to anything you have said uh and will say in the future listen all all that's left to say really is thank you so 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 much for taking the time out to speak to my humble self and and to speak on the dog cast um i've no doubt that anyone who's listening to to this today will get a huge huge value from this it's it's actually the 10th episode so it was one that i really wanted to get um someone that like anyone could get huge value from so listen thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to me
0: Oh, Dennis, I'm delighted and thanks so much. I love this platform and I love what you're doing. Creating great buzz around it too. So um, yeah, best of luck with everything in the future with, with this and with medicine and everything else you're doing as well. And thanks for having me. Brilliant. Guys, this is
1: the Dogcast. Like, subscribe. You know the crack at this stage. Thank you so much. We'll see you again.